Okay, time for check on the latest COVID headlines. Here is vaccine researcher, family physician, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Doctor, good afternoon. Good afternoon, and many thanks for having me back. Well, appreciate you joining us as always. I want to start with something that the World Health Organization had to say. Uh, Let's try to clear this up a bit, if we can, regarding mixing and matching of vaccines, because the World Health Organization said that it was, quote, a dangerous trend. And then they tried to clarify that uh, statement. Can you, Dr. Gorfinkel, can you set the record straight for us? Absolutely. So the World Health Organization chief scientist takes the stage on Monday. She's questioned about booster shots. So understand, that's the context in which she was asked, about booster shots. So what does she say? It should not be left to individuals to decide themselves, but rather public health agencies. She did not diss Canada for its decision to allow mixing and matching vaccines. So this is Dr. Swaminathan. And, you know, she says, yes, we need to be cautious. But she talks about public health agencies making the decision rather than individuals. It makes a lot of sense. And we know that mixing and matching offers serious benefits. What are they? It increases the immune portfolio because the body now has different recipes for the spike protein. It gives a somewhat more varied response if you have two different vaccines. That's evidence-based, by the way. And it gets easier to navigate through vaccine rollouts when we mix and match. But there are minuses to this, too. Side effects are a little more in the short term. And, of course, we're lacking longer-term data on this. But there are great studies that justify mixing and matching. Let's talk about them. The U.K. trial, what did that show? You, you have a, an AstraZeneca vaccine followed by a Pfizer vaccine, and guess what? You get a better antibody response. What about if you did vice versa? Well, you also get a pretty good antibody response. You know, so we can't ignore the data. The data is very favorable. And there's real-world data coming out of Germany as well that, that says mixing and matching is not only safe, it's a good idea to do. Mm-hmm. Would you like to see the World Health Organization maybe choose their words a little more carefully and uh, be very careful when it comes to their messaging? Because, you know, when you hear the words, it's a dangerous trend. I think that's what, uh, you know, started a lot of the confusion and a lot of the concern, particularly amongst, uh, you know, people here in this country, in Canada, where this has been going on for a little while now. Right. But the messaging has to be clarified, to be fair. I mean, understand even Dr. Swimmin Messon is a human being. And we have to throw these people some, you know, she, I, she was, what she was talking about, it was, she was talking about booster shots. That was what it was concentrating on. It was not concentrating on second doses. Although she did use the word second dose, what she meant was in terms of booster shots. And later on, the World Health Organization did offer some clarification around that. All right. In the meantime, sorry, I also wanted to ask you about the uh, rising caseloads around the world, because in the U.S., uh, COVID appears to be surging again. We've got some 45 states reporting increases. Uh, Our top doctor, Ontario's top doctor, said that he absolutely expects a rise in cases come September can you tell us what is driving this, and is a fourth wave, do you think, Dr. Gorfinkel, is it inevitable? I wouldn't call it a wave. I would call it more of a ripple. I think that's what's going to happen. 
kids are going to get back to school, 50%, half of them are asymptomatic when, you know, when they do get COVID-19. We're dealing largely with the Delta variant, which is far more transmissible. We know that aerosol spread is a thing. In other words, the virus can hang around kind of like cigarette particles would. You, you know, so I worry about that. But still, they account for less than 2% of the hospitalization. So this, this is not anything really new. There's been a downward shift in the average age since Canada began vaccinating. So, you know, now that... 80, some 70% of all Canadians are now vaccinated. Some 50% have two doses. We're, we're getting to those numbers rapidly. What's going to happen is we're going to see it in the unvaccinated population, in kids. And what happens when they go back to school? Well, what do you know? They're populating, they're congregating in small and enclosed areas. Bottom line, two things. It's not just about vaccines. We have to make sure the buildings themselves are safe. We have to make sure we've got good air filtration systems or changing those filters and maintaining what HVAC systems there are. The second thing is we need to be scratching our heads and asking, is vaccinating all Canadian kids really the next right step? If you look at it from a global perspective, those vaccines are really needed and high risk lower to middle-income countries that are just not getting the shots into arms, period. We're talking about their healthcare workers. We're talking about their highest-risk individuals. And if, if the person says, well, you know what, that's not Canada. We paid for those vaccines. Those vaccines belong to us. I would argue the cases that happen in Egypt, the cases that happen in France, they belong to Canada ultimately because every new case that forms is the potential for a new variant. So we have to take that very seriously. Right I, now, we don't need a booster shot, but that could change. Absolutely. This is a global problem. It's a global pandemic. And Dr. Gorfinkel, many have taken up walking during the pandemic, and I know this week you wanted to discuss the importance of getting outdoors and the health benefits of things like walking. Absolutely. It has such an interesting history. You know, everybody talks about 10,000 steps a day. Would you like to hear where that came from? I would love to know that because that has been the buzzword around walking even pre-pandemic as well. Did you get your steps in? Uh, did you do 10,000 steps? Uh, why did that become such a magic number? So fascinating. So the year is 1963, and Dr. Iwao Oya is the head of one of Tokyo's biggest health clinics. He has a problem. He worries that too many Japanese are sedentary. But he's got a solution to this. If everyone walked 10,000 steps a day, he could avert an impending health crisis. He pitches the idea to a Japanese clockmaker. And what do you know, at the time, Tokyo was hosting the 1964 Olympics. That sparked a bit of a fitness craze. And this is the moment that everything aligns. The problem is solution and a business opportunity. It takes two years of tinkering, and the clockmaker makes its first pedometer. It's called Manpo-K, and the Japanese lettering looks like a man walking. Its name gives the users a clear goal. It's translated into the 10,000 steps meter, and it becomes the Nike of its time. Just like Nike tells us to just do it, Manpo tells its users what to do as well. 10,000 steps, and mm. they'll measure it. Now, how, <laughs> yeah, how focused should we be? I mean, that's really fascinating, but how focused should we be on that 10,000 uh, step number? I mean, is that, you know, kind of the 
bare minimum we should be doing uh, every day? Should we be trying to get there? Uh, are we okay if we only do 7,000 steps one day and maybe 14,000 the next? one size fits all, but aiming for 8,000 steps is probably the best evidence-based guesstimate for the able-bodied Canadian. So what's the problem? Pre-pandemic Canadians are getting just under 5,000 steps a day, according to a study published in Nature. Which places Canada in the bottom three of 11 countries studied? You know, so do pedometers make a difference? Turns out they can help motivate and in a big way. So a study is done in the UK and they give people pedometers. They use them every day for 12 months and they've increased their steps. What's your guess, Jeff? How many steps do you think? You got a pedometer, you're looking at it. What, what's the effect of that? I think it doubles your steps. <laughs> it, didn't quite, it wasn't quite that good. No, okay. <laughs> By 660 steps a day. So another study looks at high risk patients with COPD. This was like emphysema and chronic bronchitis. Right. Not only did they exercise more, but they were actually able to improve their exercise capacity when using a pedometer. Okay. So what does that tell us about using a pedometer? Or I'm even thinking about, because, you know, when I go for a runner, I go for a walk, uh, I've got my uh, Apple watch, right? Monitors my uh, heart rate. It uh, tells me when I've hit one, two, five kilometers, that sort of thing. Uh, What do you think about the rise of digital fitness in helping us uh, maintain a more healthy lifestyle? You know, I'm kind of old school in a way, because on the one hand, I think, gosh, they're tracking me, which they are. You know, so they know how many steps I've done, which bothers me a bit. But then on the other hand, do I have an Apple Watch on my wrist, bottom line? And I actually do have a tracking device. I used a Fitbit before that. I tried Garmin before. And it's interesting. I respond like the majority of people do. I watch the number, and it becomes almost a game, a form of gaming. Right. It becomes a bit of an addiction. I mean, did it have that effect on you? Did you find you were walking a bit more when you, when you knew you were under? Well, you know what has really helped me is that you can team up with other users, and I have a colleague, a coworker over on the television show. Our watches are uh, paired together, and I know every time that David Goldberg has closed all three of his rings, let me tell you, and it uh, has from time to time, I will admit this, got me off the couch. (laughs) It's really incredible, the psychological effect that it has. And it's not just that it's reminding you, hey, hey, Iris Gorfinkel, get up, it's time to move. So yes, it has reminders like that. But other things that it does is it shows circles. And the circles, the colors of the circles, everything about it is completely well studied to ensure that we're prompted, we're nudged to do what's actually good for our health. So I think these things are potential game changers in the world of health. They certainly are making a very big difference to fitness. The question is, how many people are willing to take it on? We can argue about the exact number that Dr. Oya gave back in 1963, but no one can argue that this man was a real visionary. Taking steps, and lots of them, remains one of the best preventions that medicine has to offer. And are you hopeful, Dr. Gorfinkel, that maybe this is one of the silver linings of the pandemic and coming out of it because we've had so few options, particularly during a lockdown, that many people have, you know, discovered their neighborhoods again and have been walking more and that uh, we might end up, uh, you know, with a bit of a healthier population, uh, perhaps, and hopefully that this will uh, continue, uh, you know, walking and other forms of uh, physical fitness. 
I don't have the exact numbers on it, but we've got some conflicting data, right? On the one hand, yes, people are walking more, potentially, but then on the other, there's the COVID-19. And you know what the COVID-19 refers to? 19 pounds extra. <laughs> so that's the case. That's a serious problem. Okay. I thought it was the quarantine 15. Now it's the quarantine 19. Okay. Uh, Dr. Gore Fickle, we're out of time. Pleasure as always. Thanks so much for joining us. Many thanks for having me. You bet. Dr. Iris Gore Finkel, vaccine researcher, family physician.